When you get all your notes organized and have them easily accessible, you'll know why there are more than 100 reasons to buy a Remarkable. Here's reason number 56. With Remarkable, you can convert your handwritten notes into text to reuse in emails, reports, or presentations. Take your office with you. Easily access all your documents and presentations on all devices. Just like paper, only better. Learn more at Remarkable.com. Can you imagine a rainbow of flowers? In a crystal blue sky. Filled with music. And all your friends are there. And everyone is laughing with joy. And the whole world is clean and sparkling and singing like Pavarotti. Put on your wings and fly. Invite us to your house. We'll only be there a few minutes. Our clean and shiny trucks haul away your distractions. And leave your home sparkling with joy. All you have to do is point. Call 1-800-GOD-JUNK. Or visit 1-800-GOD-JUNK.COM. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and sea to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Absolutely kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. For those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress, the hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people, and so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place. With a lot of people that would like to know what's going on, uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome, everyone, into Garden of Doom. That is a scary beginning, and the reason I'm making a reference to it is because, as a bunch of you know, I'm on Riverside, and because my editor, La Sicaria, is still uh, out of pocket doing Sicaria things, um, I have to manually insert it. So me and my guests have to listen to the, uh, the uh, entrance song and, and the outro when we do it. Um, but my guest this week is a returning guest, uh, RN Voot. How are you today? I'm fabulous. Thank you for having me once again. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back with you. And just on um, talking about your intro, it's one of my favorites. The Charlie Chaplin um, edit is wonderful. It's one of my favorite speeches of all time. So 
Great. Yeah, no, the, 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 I, I could take no credit for it, but but I love it too. But when you hear it every week, it sort of gets tiresome, um, <laughs> like anything else. But yeah, every now and then, I, it's, it still gives me shudders. And, and all credit goes to the, my prior co-host and the person who actually recruited me, Shaheen uh, Shagan. So thank, thank you for that and letting me continue to use it even after he left the show. Um, with that said, congratulations are due to you, your book, The Osiris Codex which is the name of the prior show you were on here in the garden, you teased it, you, you sort of let us, you know, you, you, you sort of paint the picture about how the, the story told in the, st- the sky and how certain constellations were going to intersect with, with each other in the coming time was going to finish the story. Like, like a good salesman, you would not tell us the end. You gave us just enough to give us plenty of content, uh, uh, basically as a so as above, so as below kind of thing. But now the book is out, so I want to congratulate you first on the book coming out and wish you, you know, all the success inside. But why don't you remind the folks a little bit about the Osiris Codex and sort of the basics of it, and then we'll get into the main topic of the show, which, folks, is Tarot. So when you when you click on this and you want to hear a show about Tarot, you will, in fact, hear a show about Tarot. But I have a guest who just wrote a book, so we're going to talk a little bit about his book. Fabulous. Then thank you for the introduction again. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, the, the the latest book, Searching for Osiris and the Tree of Life, is actually part three of what I never knew was actually going to be a trilogy, to be completely fair. Um, the first in the, in, yeah, chronologically speaking, the first book, The Spirits in the Sky, Ancient Cosmological Gods and Where in the World We Find Them, I didn't think I was really going to be able to elaborate too much on the initial findings, um, which had and again, I give huge thanks to Graham Hancock for giving me the, 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 the support that he has with regards to the initial hypothesis um, and entertaining my works via his website as well. So it's nice to know you're heading in the right direction when you've got a certain, um, yeah, giant support. sort of supporting you. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But again, I didn't really think, um, once, I'd, once I'd written The Spirit in the Sky, which I will get into the nuts and bolts of very, 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 very shortly. Um, I didn't think there was going to be much more to kind of reveal, as it were. But the more I, I looked into the myth of Osiris, the more that I found not only was I on the right track, it, it, it appears that there's a multitude of different cultures that are classically or independently described by the mainstream as being disconnected by time, and by distance, location, um, but they all seem to be talking about the same sort of proverbial hymn sheet with regards to a tree of life, uh, the root of which is what I like to think that I've kind of accessed and dug into in the latest of the uh, of the trilogy, Searching for Osiris and the Tree of Life. So the initial hypothesis is based around the, the myth of Osiris, which is the oldest, or if not one of the oldest, tales regarding the mythological tree of life it's it's basically been described that the myth of osiris was an ancient axiom for as above so below but we don't really know to the extent of what 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 yeah to to what extent that actually meant or what it might actually mean um with regards to what is reflected upon the Within the within the uh, the concept of the cosmos, the mi- the macrocosm, and the microcosm below, and there's there's a number of different trains of thought, and I believe 
a, a, yeah, a good host of them are on the right track, absolutely. And I think it's it's also multi-layered. I don't think you can say that just one person's right or one person's wrong. Um, I think there's a, as I say, a, a plethora, a multitude of answers with regards to what this particular ancient axiom may or may not actually mean. Um, and just like Egyptian hieroglyphs themselves, there's not just one particular meaning attributed to one particular symbol. There's, as I say, a multitude or a plethora of meanings depending on which context the, the hieroglyph or the story, um, in this case, is actually delivered. So the myth of Osiris actually starts whereby Osiris has been invited to a I'll try and make this as short as possible because obviously we did describe we, we went through this um, with our first conversation the Osiris Codex a year ago right. but it starts at a large banquet where Osiris and all the guests have been invited by Seth's, by Osiris's wicked brother um, Seth or Seth depending on the sources um, to lay down in a wonderfully ornate carved box coffer sarcophagus call it what you will and whoever, whoever's dimensions it was said to fit could then indeed, then indeed keep it. Now, guest after guest tried the coffer, coming up either too short, too tall, too wide, um, for whatever reasons, until the turn of Osiris, where we find Osiris laid down and it fit his dimensions absolutely perfectly. It was made for the man. Right, it was like, it was like bad luck Cinderella. Absolutely, absolutely. He's being, he's being let's say, Guided down a trail of misfortune. Um, that it's obviously, a setup. This absolutely. Was, this, was a tailored, this was a tailored sarcophagus. It was only in the dimensions precisely of Osiris, and and I know this because I've been watching a bunch of uh, those mythologies of mythologies of, and I just and I just listened to the mythology of Japan, the mythology of China, the mythology, uh, the twelve most powerful Egyptian gods. And I think somewhere in there, so I was listening to some Babylonian stuff as well. And I, I, if if there's not Osiris directly or Orion, there's some cognate that, that's that's close enough. Which at least, uh, and I don't want to steal your thunder at all, but this has at least uh, settled my question about you know this this whole thing about Jungian, you know Jungian psychology that there's some sort of collective. Uh, psychology, collective connection of all people, which leads us to these archetypes. I don't think Absolutely. so. Almost like it's a cause and effect, that that, that that collective is the cause of these stories. I don't think so. I actually think that somewhere, somewhere down the line there there was, you know, a civilization or civilizations that were close enough that sort of shared more or less the same stories. And because of the Jungian collect, uh, consciousness, it spread, it caught on, and everyone so was like, yeah, we all, we all can get on board with that, and then it spread, because that, that makes a lot more sense to me than, you know, people in Australia 45,000 years ago, you know, talking about the Seven Sisters, when you couldn't see the Seven Sisters, you can only see six of them, uh, you know, any more recently than 100,000 years ago, sure. and, you know, as we know, there probably weren't much in the way of people, and if there were, they were Homo habilis or Homo erectus, um, you know, out of Africa, you know, at, you know, at that point. So, anyway, so uh, my, my little Jungian uh, uh, conclusion aside, let's get back in yours. But yeah, am I correct that Orion uh, is often a cognate for Osiris? Indeed. Okay, very good. All right. So yes, back back to the Osiris stars. All right. 
Now, just touching on what you said as well with regards to the plethora or the multitude of different um, cultures separated by time, distance, and, and what have you as well. You, you even opened up with saying Japan. Now, we will get to this later on in the conversation because a lot of the a lot of my current hypothesis deep dives into the the roots of the tree of life or what the tree of life may or may not have been um and the concept of reeds um the field of reeds which osiris is meant to preside over as well um but yeah i I never thought that i'd be looking at japanese mythology and legend and how that actually incorporates and ties into the new christian tradition as well um yeah it's as I say, it's the same proverbial hymn sheet once again repeated or echoed throughout the aeons. And it's, it's, it's my, I say my assumption, um, it's my postulation that someone somewhere in time had worked out for the greater good what this particular um, psychoactive compound that we find in the human brain, which permeates throughout nature as well, DMT, which completely was not on my radar even 10, 15 years ago. Um, I think that someone somewhere worked out the um, yeah the finer details, let's say, regarding the human experience, and let's say possibly the alternate realities that might exist or coincide with us within, I guess, the the hard nuts and bolts consensus reality that we call everyday waking life. Right. So. Back to the myth of Osiris, whereby Osiris found himself lying in this beautiful cover, and to the guests' stunned amazement, Seth and his his his, his gang, his followers, swiftly fastened Osiris inside this coffer, nailing it shut, and then tossing him into the River Nile, where he basically floated away, got lost. No one could find Osiris. His casket was said to have um, run aground in modern day Lebanon um, back in the day known as Byblos and got further entombed by the trunk of a resplendent tamarisk tree which we know to be the, aca- uh, the acacia variety um, Osiris was then the, sorry, the, 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 the tree that Osiris's casket had been entombed within was then decided to be felled, where it was going to be carved into a ornate pillar, where it was going to adorn the walls of the king of Byblos. Osiris's wife found out in time that this was the case. Her husband was basically entombed within this pillar of acacia, and she bargained with the king to set him free, which he eventually did. Um, and we should this, say that his wife is also his sister, Isis. It is indeed. It is indeed. Which is also very common in mythologies all over the place. Exactly, exactly. She's got a number of names as well, depending on the, the, the region and the context you're speaking in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's rescued Osiris to the uh, detriment of his brother's uh, rage once again. And so she, he's decided to dismember Osiris once and for all, chop him up into a number of pieces. Well, what number? Because that number is not insignificant. No, the number's not insignificant. Um, and again, this depends on sources, again. Um, later texts will tell you it's 14 pieces, and the earlier texts will tell you it's uh, 42 different pieces. Wow, okay. Um Osiris's wife, Osiris, 
gathered the parts of Osiris, put him back together via, um, well, say via, she, she's, she's pieced him back together, but his phallus was missing, uh, which once again suggests whoever's looking into the, I guess, the inner wisdom of this town should possibly be searching for Osiris's missing phallus, which, again, we should get into once again. Um, <laughs> excuse me. She's she, she, she became impregnated by Osiris um, before he's dismembered, as I say, by, by Set, and then becomes synonymous with the constellation of Orion. So we have two kind of conflicting stories regarding the myth of Osiris, whereby he was regarded being synonymous with the acacia, albeit the, the lifeblood or the sap of the acacia. And he was also immortalized as a macrocosmic namesake as the constellation of Orion. And this is where the as above, so below axiom may um, come into question. What are they talking about? Is there a wider um, and possibly scientific story for somebody, I guess, scientifically adept to actually understand? Because it's, it's my contention as well that it's not the ancient Egyptians that are saying that this is a story that's happened. Everything like the biblical texts, um, I believe, are strictly and completely allegorical in nature. Um, the reason, the reason, Osiris, in my opinion, is likened to the lifeblood of the acacia, is because he's a god of resurrection and resurrection with regards to what we find inside the sap or the lifeblood of the acacia becomes extremely interesting uh, when we touch upon the chemical compound component that I spoke of a second ago regarding what we have access to within our, within our molecular structure, really, the, the makeup of our own, our own DNA. Um, DMT, it's, a, it's an otherworldly chemical compound that is basically... We call it today the, the, the world's most highly illicit psychedelic super substance. It's strictly off bounds for any anyone um, interested in either expanding their own mind um, or even scientifically studying it. It's only over Rick Strassman's recent, I say recent, um, it was the end of last century and Dr. Rick Strassman released the Spirit Molecule documentary, which completely changed my thought process regarding not just not just the ancient yeah, not just the, the myth of Osiris himself, but it actually changed my outlook on life itself. Um, as I say, DMT was never on my radar. I'd never even heard of it until I'd actually watched the particular presentation um, via Dr. Rick Strassman and Joe Rogan, which I believe was published around 2010, maybe 2011. And considering I was someone that kind of grew up in the, the early and late 90s with regards to, excuse me, house music, MDMA, um, and the like, yeah, just mushrooms and everything, I didn't think that there was anything out there still to discover, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was, it was like the, the cold 
the cold um, ice bucket of water challenge um, from about 10 years or so ago. That's exactly how it felt. As soon as I saw this documentary, it hit me and completely made me sit up a lot straighter and think, man, I've seen, I've seen this particular structure somewhere before. And I don't know where, I don't know what the, yeah, why I'm, why I'm thinking this, but it seems oddly and overly familiar considering I had no idea what this particular chemical component was. Um, so I've, I've taken a break from the documentary and disappeared down to the beach just to kind of clear my mind and rack my brain and think, well, where have I seen, where have I seen this before? Where have I seen it? Um, and it was a fairly chilly, um, winter evening. I'm sitting on the beach and yeah, call it an epiphany, call it what you like. Uh, the, the, the clouds literally opened and I could see the constellation of Orion before me. And again, it hit me like the, the, the proverbial ice bucket challenge, um, like a, a ton of bricks. I thought, man, that's what? That's so uncanny, it's unbelievable. But the, the, the notion I had to sort of set up and kind of almost pinch myself to think, what's going on here? I understood the nuts and bolts of the, the myth of Osiris and how he was likened to a god of resurrection. Mm-hmm and how he was likened to the, the constellation of Orion and how he was also regarded as the the lifeblood of the acacia. Now, everything that I just had presented to me by the likes of Joe Rogan and Dr. Rick Strassman uh, via the Spirit Molecule documentary talking about this psychoactive chemical compound that literally strips you bare, dismembers you, breaks you into a thousand pieces like Osiris before almost giving you the a whistle-stop tour of the cosmos, an understanding of the greater self, the greater collective self, that you are part of everything, everything is a part of you. Um, the feeling that you're dying, the feeling that you've actually... Probably, probably overdose. Let's say I my my initial DMT um, air quotes breakthrough experience. Can you imagine a rainbow of flowers in a crystal blue sky, filled with music, and all your friends are there, and everyone is laughing with joy, and the whole world is clean and sparkling and singing like Pavarotti. You can't imagine all of this happening. You saw it in your mind, and then you took action. It's coming. It's headed here now. It's on the way. You made these good things happen when you invited 1-800-GOT-JUNK into your world. We make junk disappear. All you have to do is point. Don't let junk drag you down. Put on your wings and fly. Invite us to your house. We'll only be there a few minutes. You are going to be so happy you did this. We come to any home or apartment, workplace or job site. We're industrial strength magicians. All you have to do is point. Call 1-800-GOD-JUNK or visit 1-800-GOD-JUNK.COM. was the, the scariest thing I've ever had to put myself through in my entire life, but it was the most, um, the most revealing, the most, um, yeah, the, the, yeah, it was the most revealing. It was, it was amazing. I actually came back from from this experience feeling wholly resurrected in air quotes once again and I could see the overlap regarding the myth of Osiris 
the lifeblood, the, the, the molecular structure being a carbon copy almost of a two, two-dimensional rendition of the molecular structure of the acacia, um, or at least part of the acacia, the DMT therein being broadcast across the cosmos. And it, again, being systematically broke down into what I felt like was a thousand pieces and then resurrected with new eyes in which to see the world. And again, Osiris, the etymology of Osiris is revealing in itself. Um, OS has a plethora of names. Um, one in the medical fraternity is known to open. Um, OS in different cultures, ha- it signifies God. And Iris is... It's self-explanatory with regards to the eyes, the eye of God. Open your eyes. Um, it's it, it's it's almost it beggars belief, in my opinion, that <coughs> excuse me, the researchers or archaeologists, you want to call them, the that are trying to put this stuff out there regarding this particular mythologies and a number of other ancient Egyptian mythologies with regard to anthropomorphic deities. Um, just being throwaway. Well, they, they were, they were, they weren't as evolved as we are, and it's there's no real comeback argument with regards to you're wearing a tin hat, you're 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 seeing something that's not there. It's a face in the in, in a cloud. It's pareidolia. But when you have a num- so many commonalities that actually stack up regarding the hypothesis that I like to believe I'm putting forward with regards to this ancient axiom, with regards to DMT, a hidden human, um, a human right, to be honest, um, with regards to a resurrection process that's kind of been almost, I'm sure there's a nicer word than bastardized, but what the current dogmatic religions seem to be doing is almost keeping an arm's length away saying, no, 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 don't look there, listen to us, we can get you to heaven, we can show you the process, this, that and the other, when... With all due respect, it, it seems fundamental that the ancients or a handful of initiates in, in, in ancient Egypt and other societies, ancient Greece, um, even the ancient Americas, you name it, they were all practicing with regards to this this otherworldly, deifying, God-creating, um, cosmos-enlightening chemical compound that permeates the natural world that science categorically today states they don't know what its essential function is they, 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 they can't tell you why it's in the human brain we haven't found that there's a lot of people that hypothesize it's created by the pineal gland um, there's yeah no, nobody knows nobody really knows although we do know that it permeates the natural world it's found within the the human brain it's found within the human eyes it's found within the human lungs the cerebral spinal fluid what's it doing there it's the world's most highly highly illicit psychoactive chemical compound that appears to be to, to quote dennis mckenna to be a reality switch Something that flips a switch on your mode of consensuous reality with regards to a greater, higher consciousness that exists all around us that the ancients would call a resurrection process. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. I I wish I had either Professor York with us or or a Reverend Willis who actually knows all the names of all the different uh, characters and all the different mythologies. Uh, and I could talk to you about this all day, but I'm going to limit that because that's going to we'll we'll go down that rabbit hole and we'll find 17 other rabbit holes, and I'm going to I'm going to 
stop that, but I want to. I do. I do one question for you. Is there any commonalities between this this molecular structure between the DMT and what's found in like certain mushrooms and ayahuasca? Uh, has there been any studies to see if there's similarities? In what capacity do you mean? I mean, the, the DMT itself is a base or the base component of ayahuasca. So, ah, well, then the, the answer is yes. Okay, well, that makes sense because that that's that's what. Uh, yeah, people talk about what, what about mushrooms or, or it's one oh. molecular tweak or two two basic molecular tweaks away from being psilocybin um, psilocybin is basically an orally active mode of imbibing DMT DMT itself if you actually <coughs> excuse me if you were at, if you were to eat I don't know the, the root bark of the mimosa the acacia no matter how much DMT you wanted to put into your body it wouldn't become orally active because we have something in our in our stomachs um, that's known to basically inhibit the process. Um, you have to. It, it's with regards to ayahuasca. That's the the the, the I guess the sixty four thousand dollar question in how how in the world did the ancient Amazonian shaman find the the DMT rich source vegetation? along with the only component part that they need to make it already active, combined these, yeah, combined these two plant sources out of the, I'll probably get this wrong, um, I've, there is around between, let's say, 40, and it's very open-ended here, but 40 to 70 million different varieties of, of plant right. fauna throughout the Amazon. And how the, the ancients put these together is a story or a podcast within itself. You ask the shaman, they say the plants told them. Right. And there have been podcasts about it. I, I can't even say for sure that I haven't had one on it, but I can tell you if you want to hear lots of podcasts on it with lots of different guests... I would I would refer you all to Earth Ancients and Cliff Dunning's show, uh, both Earth Ancients and the the sister show Destiny, because they talk about this a lot. So um, you know, I've never been one to not you know, and I'm sure there's others too, but I've never been one to not tell you that there's other podcasts out there that cover something maybe deeper. But anyway, the answer to my question is basically yes with regards to mushrooms. This is not a great analogy, but it's sort of like the difference between, you know, drinking an alcohol that's 40 proof versus an alcohol that's 80 proof that, that the ayahuasca and the DMT is just stronger than it is in the mushroom form. But it's so, so, sort of close enough until you know better. So I, I think that's probably covered that to the extent that, you know, that we can or should at this one. So let's pivot into uh, unless there's something more about the, the the book that you want to talk about and then we can pivot it and then you can tell us when to pivot into uh Toro. well even with regards to isis um the, there's a number of the um there's a number of her pillars that are in i think it's dendera um in in, in ancient egypt as well and the, the the particular pillars actually they but yeah they basically depict um mushrooms which you've got to kind of scratch your head out and think, okay, well, what's going on here? But with regards to my own hypothesis regarding Osiris, the molecular structure of DMT being broadcast on the macrocosm as a two-dimensional, <coughs> excuse me, rendition of the chemical compound of DMT via Orion, if we actually decide to marry Osiris with his bride in the sky and the star that she's synonymous with, um, she's synonymous with Sirius, 
which the belt stars point, I guess, south sorry, southwesterly towards uh, Sirius the dog star. Um, and if we actually look, yeah, if we once again decide to look at that through, I guess, a, a modern a modern day scientific lens with regards to rendering a new structure psychoactive. Um, you might you might want to say we actually incorporate the molecular structure of excuse me the molecular structure for psilocybin so it's almost a double kind of nail in the coffin with regards to what the archaeologists are saying um, as opposed to what I believe to have stumbled across with regards to yeah higher understanding regarding um, the, the properties of psychoactive substances and the, the molecular structure of them therein as well being broadcast from the microcosm onto the macrocosm and let's not forget as well that Isis herself is known to be um, not only a goddess of fertility but a goddess of magical incantations yeah. um, and healing as well and it, it, it it's such a shame that we've had the war on drugs for the past sort of 30, 40, 50 years, but it, it, it seems to be coming to fruition now with regards to psilocybin and the thera therapeutic use um, that, yeah, for people that are suffering um, with particular ailments, this is, this is almost like a, a magic ailment, um, for want of a better description, you know? Um, and all we're doing again is marrying Osiris with his wife in the sky to get the molecular structure, excuse me, for psilocybin alongside DMT. So it was there in the sky all along, the, the answer? I believe so. I believe so. And the, the even even more bizarre, the, 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 the chemical component that actually makes this all possible, um, serotonin which the, uh, the psilocybin and DMT molecules actually bind to in order to give you this uplifting, resurrecting, um, albeit psychedelic experience. Um, there's actually a mythology regarding um, the same group of stars that actually paints a picture of serotonin in the sky as well. <laughs> and that comes, that comes via the myth of Wenet. And Wenet is a, a rabbit or hare-headed deity also synonymous with Osiris. So Wenet is known today um, in the 21st century as a constellation of Lepus, which is directly below um, the constellation of Orion. Now, if we actually follow the, the myth as intended, Osiris is, is still celebrated today, <coughs> excuse me, via what is known as the Mysteries of Abydos, where Osiris is said to take sail of um, a boat called the Neshmet. Now, the, there's the second brightest star below um, Orion within the constellation of Wenet um, or Lepus is actually known as the Neshmet. So if we connect Osiris with the Neshmet, <coughs> excuse me, and then connect the Neshmet to the brightest star, which basically encompasses the entire head, not the body, just the head as when it's the ancient Egyptian deity that synonymous Osiris is, we actually create the benzene ring for the so the, the indole benzene ring, which is the complete hexagon structure of um, DMT. Um, but we're actually we're rather explicitly told that this particular journey via the Neshmet was to take place on the Nile. Now the star that's directly below um, Alpha Leporis to the west of the star that's called the Neshmet within the head of the, the rabbit Lepus is actually called Nile 
So if we again connect the proverbial dots in the sky, you have the you have Osiris taking um, sail of the Neshmet, connecting it to um, the head of the rabbit, further connecting it to the Nile, which completes not only does it complete the entire indulged benzene ring, which is the bottom half of the molecular structure of DMT, we then create serotonin. But we also find out that the job of serotonin within the human brain is to basically keep us joyful, keep us happy, keep a, a balanced and well-grounded state of mind. Uh, joyfulness being the underlying um, fundamental job of serotonin in the brain. But if we look at the name Nile as it is spelled, it's, H, it's actually spelled N, instead of N-I-L-E as in the river, it's spelled as N-I-L-H-A-L. Which is an ancient Sanskrit name, and it's a Sanskrit name that means joyfulness. So we've actually got the stars describing the neurotransmitter that it's actually depicting if we join the proverbial dots in the sky as intended via the myth of Osiris. So all in all, we have DMT, we have psilocybin, and we have serotonin in the sky. Should we decide to follow the dots as it looks like, um, yeah, we should be following them. A few more little parts about the Osiris myth is that he actually went, ended up in the underworld and was and was rescued from the underworld, uh, and that was and so actually one of the characters that went to the underworld and was resurrected because the gods their power seems to end at the underworld, uh, but they can negotiate with the, the the god of the underworld, who's you know the, the Lord Almighty there. Um, so you have the resurrection. That's sort of that, and that's sort of the the story. So again, you have a and Osiris, who, 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 who for those who don't know, is sort of like the god that was almost like you know how people say the the Atlanteans like brought us all culture and poetry and and farming and technology, or how the Masons say that it all came from Cain or whatever. Osiris was that was that character, sort of almost like Enki in in uh, uh, in Sumerian. Or like the Eternals in the, in the MCU, but uh, anyway, that was Osiris, so the, the the friend of man, you know, the encourager, the teacher of man. Anyway, so uh, you know, the, the point there is just to say that there that that character exists in so many different uh, cultures and religions, and and to an extent, and maybe the extent is really really close if you want to go that direction, including Jesus Christ. Um, so. All right, enough about that because we've just blown people's mind or had a lot of people turn off or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, and and obviously we'll get a chance at the end so for you to reference your books and where they can find it, where they can buy it and all that stuff. But let's get to Tarot because I promised people Tarot and we've gone almost 40 minutes and, and haven't said it. So, yes. I thought, I thought you were joking with Tarot, for real. Oh, you thought I was joking? <laughs> all right, all right. Well, then uh, I guess we're not doing Tarot. Um, all right. Well, then, then let's go. Then let's go more with uh, Osiris. I, I, and... I guarantee. I mean, I this is making me chuckle. Seriously, we had, um, yeah, we had that um, correspondence where, yeah, you brought up the tarot, and I genuinely thought that that was, I genuinely thought that was a, yeah, just a tongue in cheek. <laughs> I've, I've spoken to my girlfriend. My girlfriend. I mean, realistically, if you want to finish the podcast, I'll go and grab Kerry for real. <laughs> uh, does she know Tarot? Because I, you know, we, oh, absolutely. Need... Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's grab her. I'll, I'll, I'll hit pause over here. Let's See, do folks, this works. Bear with this me. Is, this, is a, this is a professional operation, folks. No, absolutely. Why not? Let me see if this works. Okay. 
So we're gonna entertain you with da 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 da. This is a this is a garden of doom first because I don't know how to pause Riverside. I don't see the obvious two bars that are vertical here telling me to pause. So I don't want to hit stop with the assumption that maybe it doesn't start again. So I'm sorry for this. You know, but hey, stuff happens. Um, <laughs> but uh, ho- hopefully you're enjoying the reality of it normally stuff like this would be edited out but again La Sicaria is doing Sicaria things and uh, is not here to tell this out so you're hearing a very real pivoting in real time so here we go uh, I think she's left me I can't she's not in the house <laughs> well, well, well hopefully she hasn't left you left you she's just left me alright that's you hilarious know, Let's let's pivot off of the Tarot again then, because that's obviously not going to happen. So everybody who heard me talking about Tarot and is wondering why I'm talking about a show titled Tarot, when this show is clearly not going to be entitled Tarot, um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on to uh, more stuff. So uh, this is fine because I, I like I said I, I actually within the last few days listened to a couple of these mythology shows. Uh, and some YouTubes and and uh, podcasts and stuff like that. So, I, how good are you on Babylonian? In what capacity? If I can get it started, are you able to help me fill in the blanks? And not with it doesn't have to be precise because the Babylonian mythology is one that I I wanted to cover. And actually, I had Reverend Jem Will, Willis on and. He did Sumerian, which I've you know, which was great, but I've done Sumerian a million times, um, or not a million, but a bunch of times, um, and want to do Babylonian. But he's like, yeah, I'm rusty on Babylonian. Can I make you a deal? Can we do a different show? I said, sure. So we we did a great show where he was talking about the shamanic roots to the to the Big Five, um, which was which was an amazing show, and by coincidence was the week before the week after I, I interviewed Professor Michael York who was doing comparative mythology and those shows complemented each other really well from the academic level and the clergy perspective although Reverend Willis is very much an academic as well and he's a brilliant writer of books he actually wrote a book called The Religion Book which everybody should have it on there on the table anyway so as I understand Babylonian mythology because I feel like I owe it to the group you know because I uh, I sort of I sort of covered everything else I haven't quite gotten Canaanite yet, but I, I, I feel like I feel like it's on the cusp, and I'm working on plain old Islam, and then so that I can get into mystical Islam because I, I'm embarrassed to admit, but I, I know so little about Islam, and it's probably the second largest religion in the world, especially if you take the Dharmic religions more as philosophies, which is what they consider themselves to be. I mean, Indians do not consider themselves. Hindu. They subscribe to a Hindu philosophy, but their mythology, they believe that to be their history. Um, Chinese, they don't consider themselves to be Buddhist necessarily. That's a philosophy, and the Buddha does play into the mythology as well, plays a prominent role, but the mythology is something, and, and the magic, magic and mythology is one and the same, which is similar to Egypt. Anyway, so Sumerian. So as I understand it, a lot of similar elements, which really shouldn't surprise anybody, but it used to never cease to amaze me. Now it doesn't, with the hypothesis I mentioned earlier about the Jung conversation, which we don't need to rehash. So, in the beginning, there was a void, but the void wasn't nothingness, it was a sea of nothingness. And 
what emerged from that was a saltwater goddess and a freshwater god. Uh, now, I think the god's name was Abso or Absu. The goddess, I want to say it's Tiamat. And I think that that is correct. Tiamat is both like the divine woman, the, the, the goddess of fertility and caring, but she's also destruction, and, and it's sort of an evolution. Um, and it's similar to a lot of things, where Lilith starts out as, you know, the first Eve, but ends up being the killer of children and basically a, a, the mother of monsters and demons. Tiamat, probably not coincidentally, also becomes the mother of monsters. So anyway, Abso and Tiamat, they're brother and sister, twins, gods coming from the primordial nothing. They they beget and begat. So they have the lesser gods. You know, sort of how you go from the 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 Titans to the Olympians. But the, the but the Titans they had parents as well. They had you know and, and there were other creatures that coexisted with them. The Norse also. You 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 know, the the, the gods came from basically a gigantic uh, ice giant, frost giant, uh, and later on other frost giants came too. But but the, the the gods came later. Like like there's never where the gods were the original. So they had a bunch of kids. I can't name them all. Um, but at some point, somewhere along the line, there was a god named Enki who does have a Babylonian name too, and seems to be similar to the Sumerian Enki, but not exactly. This Enki seems to be more like. Osiris, almost like Apollo, the, the, the sort of, but also called the god of wisdom, um, and sort of similar to the Sumerian. And if you want to look at it this way, sort of similar to the Old Testament, and and the same thing happens in Chinese mythos and Japanese mythos. At some point, the gods are not so happy with people. People are they're they're too noisy. In certain religions, it's that. They got too sinful, uh, you know. So you have that with the, you know, the, the daughters of, of Adam with the, the sons of God. Uh, I, I believe it was in in China. I can't remember if it was Chinese or Japanese. Forgive me. But in one of them, they just got too noisy. In the other, they they were too sinful. In Greek, there's five different levels of humanity, and and basically, in at least you know, two of them were too awful to to described the, the the golden age was all men and, and men and gods were the same um, the silver age they were closer to men but they were sort of twisted and not exactly right and they had to be done away with and then there was like the the a there was some other age or was this like some other age where men were regular men but they were sinful and the gods sent down a flood and but Prometheus's son uh, Dukaleon, or I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, built an ark, and then you know, so we, we hear that you know, you know, very Noah-like story, uh, Noah-like story in Gilgamesh and Sumerian. There, it's like Apaneshtu or, or something like that. Do you know the name by any chance? I butcher names constantly, so just Me run too. with it. <laughs> okay, so just to say that there's there's flood myths all over the world, but a lot of them are. You know, because the the gods are irritated with humans, and this is Sumerian too. But one of the gods is so Enki has a brother Enlil, and Enlil just 
he thinks humans make too much noise. And in, in Sumeria, it's interesting, and humans were basically a slave race to harvest gold. Um, this doesn't necessarily seem to be the case in others, but in, in, in lots of mythology, the go- humans are made from either from teardrops, sand, dirt, clay, you know, something elemental where, you know, basically you turned, a, you turned something earthbound elemental into human beings. Um, so in Babylonian... They're just annoyed, too noisy, uh, too, too much buzzing, like too many mosquitoes buzzing around. And so the, the brother of Enki wants to, to kill the gods, but Enki's like, no, this is a terrible idea. And Absu, who originally is like, I'm on board with killing the people, he convinces Absu with, I think, the help of another god to not kill all the people. Um, and what they do is they cast a spell of sleep on on the god, I wish I remember the name, who, who is intending to kill all the people, and then they kill him while he's asleep. It's uh, so obvious. It's, it's, they couldn't kill him otherwise. He's too powerful. Well, this, this is one of Tiamat's children, and you know, Tiamat then gets enraged, and then she becomes you know, then, then she goes from you know be- beautiful mother fertility, in, you know possibly with wings, not with wings, into full monster mode. Uh, either becomes an enraged harpy, becomes a giant serpent, becomes a giant dragon, maybe something in between. It probably varied from storyteller to storyteller, village to village, town to town, city to city. But we've heard this before. In I, I believe in Egyptian, when when this same circumstance happened, it wasn't a flood, but they. They sent a lion god, right? The lion, actually, it's a goddess um, who is sent to basically kill all the humans. Um, so, flood, monster, goddess in the form of monster, same thing here. Um, a lot like the like the first Indo-European, where you had to kill the three-headed snake and Trito the warrior enlisted Tur the god of war. I mean, it, it, it's like you know, it's it, I mean people can listen to or, or you know I, I, I say read Joseph Campbell but nobody reads anymore so listen to <laughs> Joseph Campbell and you'll you know you'll you'll hear his thing now I think he's more on the Jungian was the cause but that's not important right now so alright so she becomes a raging monster so what happens they enlist another grandson I believe and th- this grandson becomes the hero god um this is Marduk, so we've all heard of Marduk. Marduk has a star, um, and yeah, Marduk's sort of a funny name, but in this, make no mistake, Marduk's not funny. Mar- Marduk's like Thor, he's like Hercules, there's a there's a Japanese hero that, that has a, a hero god that has a semi, uh, a very similar uh, role in this. Uh, Zeus, who, if you look at it this way, he's a grandson of the gods as well. Uh, he had to kill Trigon, and Let's face it, the Abrahamic God had to kill Leviathan. Not much different. Just just a just a sea monster of some sort, whether it's a whale, or a sea serpent, a sea dragon, a hydra, doesn't really matter because it's 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 the same same thing. Some elemental, uh, you know, monster as powerful as the god. So Marduk engages. Didn't need to enlist the help of anyone, but engages uh, in battle with Tiamat, who I believe is his grandmother. Uh, at this point, and and slays or defeats Tiamat. Um, so humans are allowed to exist, and but the deal that Marduk cut for himself, like any good warrior, 
is that Marduk then ascended to king of the gods. Uh, and that's sort of the extent of my knowledge of the, the Babylonian. I know I didn't know a lot of the, the names, some using pronouns. I'm sorry, I wasn't planning to, to do this, but we had to pivot on the wing. So does any of that sound familiar to, to you as far with specific to Babylonian or non-specific? Because, again, comparative mythology, it it's all... It, if you listen to enough of it, it's all so similar, whether it's whether if you want to look at the Old Testament, even parts of the New Testament, whether you want to go to Norse Greek, whether you want to go to Japan, China, and, and, and by the way, China and Japan didn't even share the same language group as India and the, the most of the Middle East and Europe. You know, that, those are all Indo-European, the latter group. China and, and Japan, I, I believe are I believe it's called Altai, I think it's called. Uh, and I am having a show on linguistics soon with the with the brilliant uh, Luke Michael Ironside. Um, so he'll, he'll cover that. Uh, and also Andy from the History of Africa podcast covered that on the first show that we did together, though we focused on African linguistics. He certainly covered other stuff as well. So I'm going to... Have you spoke to Led Stranson regarding African lingu- uh, linguistics? About who? I'm sorry. African ling- African linguistics, cosmologies regarding the Dogon. I have spoken about, but probably not with an expert. Actually, uh, my friend PJ Black was on the show. He's from South Africa, but uh, people who might know the name, he's a professional wrestler. Um, he was also in WWE for five years under the name Justin Gabriel. It was in a group called the Nexus. Um, currently, I'm not really sure who he wrestles for anymore. He He's told me it's really just a hobby, So, and he's only here in the summer because he lives in South Africa, uh, here being the United States. Um, but he's a PhD student. He might have it by now. Uh, he's doing something quantum, but it's not quantum physics. It's not quantum mechanics. It's something like quantum, you know, it, it has something to do with, like, psychology or, or yep. uh, metaphysics. It's, it's, it's really interesting. But on the show, I think it was episode 50 that, that he was on, we talked a lot of African stuff when we talked about the Dogon myth and the Zulu myth, but why don't we hear from you? Because it sounds like something you know very well. This is, you know, show is going to be in the 150s, uh, so it's been at least 100 episodes, including some bonus content, and people probably haven't heard it. And your version is probably going to be more detailed, because on the show with PJ, we covered a lot from the Anunnaki in Africa to the Dogon to some sort of popular monsters monsters in Africa, which includes a, a, a snake type of water snake that hides treasure but can be bargained with but will kill you. And and, uh, and we talked a little bit about the recac structure and, and uh, all sorts of things. So it wasn't it wasn't limited to the Dogon, which I think deserves some time so yeah although they live pretty much next door as far as Malia and Mauritania goes um, yeah yeah they're in pretty much uh, the same vicinity that's exactly right as I understand Dogon is sort of like an exonym it's like a it's like it's like a group of peoples who sort of didn't fit in with other peoples and so they formed a you know tribe sort of right like on the border of like the Sahara like almost like horizontally in Africa that they sort of were they were like sort of a, a ragtag collection that, that formed an alliance together, more of like a confederation than one, you know, uh, one clan or you know, however you want to put it. But they became that in essence, and yeah, they have they have a really cool origin story. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And as I say, Led Scranton. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I can try if you like and get you in, in, in contact with with the gentleman because I'd love he's it. Wrote, I think he's probably on book sixteen or seventeen. Um, oh. 
half of those are centered in and around the, the Dogen cosmology, which yeah, uh, it, it blows my mind. It blows my mind when he talks about the um, the Dogon cosmology and their pictoglyph system because they don't have a, a written language per se. They're pictoglyphs, and what they are talking with regards to the essence of the meaning, um, with regards to comparative physics in the twenty first century, their pictoglyphs would not look out of place on a whiteboard in a physics um, in a physics classroom today. It's it's absolutely mind blowing. Um, and they, as far as yeah, as far as I've been led to believe um, via the ongoing work of uh, Laird as well, they um, <laughs> in fact, I tell you what I, I will do. I've, I've, I've. We're coming up to the hour mark on this. Would it be good with you if we tie this up soon and do a part one and a part two with regards? Because I would really like to get into. What you've spoken about the uh, the Babylonian story um, yeah, and the sure. Sumerian story, and I think that that ties in. I'm, I mean, I have notes to a certain extent, but I've made a number of notes with regards to you, yourself waxing lyrical a minute ago, which has set off <laughs> a number of bells in my own brain. Which I, I think, yeah, um, call it divine intervention, call it what you want, but. I, I think you've given me a flight path with regards to my own research where I would love to go away, look at a few of the things that you've said regarding the Babylonian mythology, where it ties into what I believe um, is still the Osiris myth regarding Reed, Jesus, the mythology therein. Um, but I think it would, instead of me stuttering around and trying to tie it together in the back of my mind at the moment, yeah, I mean, if you could give us a, a grace of a couple of weeks, maybe we can revisit this and, and, yeah, and, and have a part two. That would be absolutely wonderful. Cause yeah, let's do that. Deal, sold, um, and uh, but with the caveat, if if your partner does know Tarot, I want her also. Absolutely. Now, that, she can, read be, my... show. that can be a separate show. Um, oh, no, that'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. I mean, as I say, it was something that I'd, I'd never really took much notice or give much creed to, which was shame on me. It really was when she she she's asked me to to take out a few cards the other day, just three of them, and they were all centered literally around um, third eye symbology and pointing to everything I'd written about in the past sort of five or six years. It absolutely blew me away. Well, let's um, riff a little bit more because I, I definitely want her, but on a, uh, it, yeah, we can do it back to back, but I want to show on, on Tarot separate. But it's interesting because the, the eye, I mean, the, the eye of Horus, Horus is, uh, is Osiris' son uh, sure. and also a hero god who defeats Seth. I mean, you can't kill Seth because he's a, he's a god, um, but Seth is, is also a destructor. Um, and, uh, and, in this, Horos uh, loses his eye, sort of like Odin. D- different method, but not not you know with you know Odin sacrificed to get wisdom. But uh, but you know once Horus loses his eye, it becomes like you know wisdom and healing. Uh, and, you know, and you see the eye of Horus everywhere. You know, famously on ships around the Mediterranean. I know everyone says the Phoenicians. Well, it wasn't just the Phoenicians. It was it was lo- lo- lots of people. You know, you, you use that. Symbology. We saw it in Jason and the Argonauts, even you know that. The, the, and of course, there's a you know Greek and Roman cognate because I mean, the Greek, Roman, and Egyptian mythologies are, you know, while there's interesting differences, they're basically the same. And, and frankly, so is sort of the, the, the Canaanite 
which then like the Canaanite is sort of like the, the like the offspring or maybe the progenitor of sort of Greek Roman you know let's call it Greek because Greek Greek was pretty much everywhere North Africa you know uh, Western Turkey you know all, uh, that 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 was sort of Greek before was Greek you could even call Macedonia anyway Hellenic you know um, and if Egyptian and, and Greek mythology sort of had a, a baby you'd sort of get Babylonian <laughs> with with a with I mean Canaanite with like a with like a touch of uh, Sumerian and Babylonian you know uh, together now Sumerians older and you know Babylonian came a little bit later but sort of the same part of the world and of course there's there should be similarities but there's interesting differences but here's what I remember about the Dogons so the Dogons apparently could see stars they 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 had a great knowledge of um, cosmology and astronomy that they shouldn't have been able to see with the naked eye uh, including, you know, in, including certain stars, um, but I believe Cirrus is one of the, is uh, apparently there's Cirrus A, which we can see. There's Cirrus B, which maybe you can see in s- the best of circumstances, but there's Cirrus C that you can't see without like super telescopes. Yeah, um, we yet to confirm that one. Sirius A and Sirius B, we the, yeah, astronomy has confirmed that we, we yeah they're orbiting each other. They're a binary star system. One's denser than the other and smaller and darker. Right, and so I think the point is that like nobody with the naked eye could see one of these stars, but they knew that there was uh, uh, you know a, 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 at least a second star, and their or their their origin story is that a people came down who I believe they call the dolphin people, which, you know, some, you know, some, some theorists like to say, well, dolphin people, they're like fish people, which are like reptile people, which are reptilians. Well, I mean, I don't know. Ask a dolphin if they feel like they're an alligator and they'll probably be offended. But anyway, they, they called them the dolphin people. I'm pretty sure that, that they knew the difference between a, a, a dolphin and, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon or a snake. Um, but anyway, the, these people came down and they were much like the teacher, much like Osiris, much like, you know, the myth of the Atlanteans. They taught them and guided them on, on how to do certain things and in technology and farming and and, and and things like that. And it doesn't end there because the, the Zulus have a similar myth and and, and, uh, and again it's been over two years since I since I've covered it with, with uh, PJ. Um, but it, it's a it's a similar story, but not exactly, but close enough to be you know, dangerous. And and the Zulus are, you know, I believe they also have their origin in Western Africa. But I, you know, I think the Zulus spread there. I mean, I think they were like they were like the Mongols of of Africa, if I'm not mistaken. They basically s- swarmed south as fast as they could, and uh, I, I think were only stopped, you know, in in the 1800s, like in the 19th century. Um, but they have a similar where you know a people from space came down. Uh, they were humanoid but not human, and taught them these same things. Uh, again, from stars that that you shouldn't have been able to see with the naked eye, even you know thousands of years ago when you know the, the skies were much clearer. 
it's interesting you say they're human but not human because as far as I'm aware of regards to the Dogen mythology as um, translated via the works of Laird Scranton yeah, apparently they share the same cosmology which mirrors um, each each system for each other from, from top down to bottom um, bar the source and the, the, the people they share this with um, is the Buddhist cosmology the Buddhist cosmology says that their um, their most sacred sciences, their most sacred understandings, their most sacred teachings were imparted to them by a non-human source, which you've got to scratch your head out um, and, and ask questions. Um, but a lot of their cosmology makes a world of sense, again, backed up with regards to science as we know it and, and, and how the cosmos appears to work from, from where we stand in the 21st century. The Dogen, however go one step further by saying not that it was just a, a, a non-human source that imparted them their, their most sacred information um, regarding their cosmology and creation cosmology they state that it was non-material which I now tend to believe might have something to do with the, let's say the, the non-material light beams of the DMT experience mm. um, for all intents and purposes as well light we, yeah, light manifests um, sorry, light interacts with our retinas and manifests solid um, reality around us but light itself by definition is massless, it's immaterial um, in nature, so I think there's a train of thought there that the Dogen were onto regarding this immaterial source, this immaterial other, that may be um, coexisting with us by our, I guess, our material reality in a non-material twin universe that, that, that Laird goes into a lot more depth in his books um, regarding the cosmology of the Dogen um, and, 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 and Buddhism. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And I, yeah, I don't think yeah, anything's really off the table. I don't think you can rule anything out, to be fair. Um, yeah. And even that, I mean... The, you again. Know, the, go ahead. Or was this again, there was just a point saying again? Uh, no, sure, sure. I mean, if even... I don't know if you've ever looked at the word the, uh, Dogen itself. I mean, they talk about uh, uh, not so much as a creator god, one unifying god. They, they, they talk about something almost the size of an atom, which, to a certain extent, is where the, the birth of the universe, if you believe in the Big Bang Theory, sort of emanated from. And if you... If, if, if let's say, we are the gods of our own destiny, of our own reality, of our own perceived universes... Um, the Dogen may be right with regards to their own cosmology regarding an immaterial other, with regards to there not being a, a unifying um, single entity known as a god. You, you, you take the word Dogen backwards, it actually says no god. I mean, you've got to kind of sort of raise an eyelid um, with curiosity to that alone, you know? Oh, for sure few other tidbits which were are, you know this is sort of a potpourri of things that are that are a little bit strange one i since i didn't want to go over sumerian in much detail i, I did omit something that that's sort of important that these two gods who wanted to one wanted to kill the humans the others didn't they're there they had a father their father was actually king of the gods anu but he didn't care and in much earlier at least five thousand years earlier 
you know, the Indo-European, the first god is also Anu, or at least that's one of the, the, the translations of it, uh, of his name. Uh, in Canaanite slash Israelite mythology, which I'm going to separate as, you know, pre- you know, writing of the the five books of Moses, which didn't happen until like thirty three hundred years ago, something like that. Um, El was the king of the Can- Canaanite gods. Most people think of Baal, but that's Ba El. Baal was actually a servant of El. They've been morphed as time went on, probably to replace the Canaanites, probably to demonize them as a, you know to, and they they made. Uh, ba and El into one and made him more into a sort of terrifying demonic figure that stolen eight children but in the original Canaanite I can assure you that he wasn't though like many gods you could have more than one face uh, but also El had a had a wife you know in, in the Abrahamic religions you never talk about God having well she had a name and everyone's heard it Ashura or Asura um, and you know one of the interesting things about uh, Greek is that Aphrodite was not an Olympian, though she became an Olympian, but she was the, the, the basically when Kronos castrated his father Uranus while he was attempting to lay with Gaia, who was in on the plot because she was tired of having her kids put back into her body, and it was really uncomfortable for her <laughs> and the kids. So Kronos got a scythe somehow <laughs> and, and castrated his father. Well, you know, his, his balls fell into the water, and the blood formed giants, um, so I guess the giants were actually technically free before the titans were, even though the titans I guess are technically older and, you know, and the, the, the giants were not necessarily of giant size they were more like, you know, greats they were akin to gods um, but they're pre-Olympian um, but where what does what this have to do with Aphrodite? Well, the sperm, his balls his nutsack that fell into the ocean you know, the the blood became the giants, but the the, the sperm that, that fell into the, these waters, that mixed with some sort of oceanic god, maybe, maybe not. It, it wasn't Oceanus; it was somebody else, somebody even before Oceanus, who was a titan. Um, from this foam emerged Aphrodite, the, the the very you know beauty itself, and you know Aphrodite goes. You know, you could say that she's you know later Venus. You could say that she was Astarte in in Canaanite, who was Astarte prior, who was Ishtar prior in in Sumerian, who was also Inanna in something that was proto, uh, you know, Sumerian, Babylonian, and you know these these things never never end. So uh, going back to West Africa and all that we've been talking about, you know. The fact that some of these stories are the same, and because you know, out of Africa still is the prevalent uh, belief. Like, I, you know, I believe that archaeology and anthropology might find things that are different, but I, you know, I, you know, I'm not smart enough to say anything otherwise. So I don't think so. I think it'll be out of Africa, and I don't, and I think for those people who are, you know, racial oriented in, in in you know in intent, I don't think it really should matter because those people weren't. It wasn't like they were. You know, black people, white people. You know, you know, people of all different shades of colors. They, they were, they were Homo erectus. They, 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 they you know, they were, 
it's probably certainly darker than you and I, but you know, but they would not have, they would not be recognizable to any modern Mazamara. So they, you know, that that was the first out of Africa, and that's probably where these stories came and grew. Now, the second out of Africa uh, is said to be about seventy thousand years ago. Whether that ends up being, you know, if, if that's still correct in thirty years, I don't know. Those were Homo sapiens sapiens. Um, but we're all the same inside. We're all, we're all the same inside. inside. Exactly. So you know. You know, but I, I think because the seven sisters couldn't be seen before a hundred thousand years ago, that the stories survived Homo erectus to Homo sapien to Homo sapien sapien in all iterations, and some of these things transferred. So I, I think that the oldest story, I think we use the Indo-European sort of as the prototype of the modern versions, but I think the older versions, which elements of which survive in various mythos around the world did probably start in in you know right around the Sahara which was not a desert back then I mean it was you know whether it was west central east I don't know uh, but I, I think mitochondrial Eve sometimes when I read about mitochondrial Eve they they say it was in West Africa sometimes I hear it was in Ethiopia I don't know somebody knows somewhere uh, it isn't me the important thing is that it, you know it, you know it's Africa, and and apparently they determined that the population of humans worldwide at at this time was around two thousand people. Uh, you know, in the beginning. Um, another thing about the in the beginning is so many of these mythologies, maybe all of them, in the beginning, something sort of came out of nothing. Which really, how different is that than the Big Bang, which is sort of going back to your Exactly. Theory that there's no difference between science and mythology when you when you look far enough and deep enough. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that a lot of the historical record is actually written in the stars. I mean, with with all due respect, prior to the advent of of of, of um, electricity. The night sky was literally the picture show. You know, you, nowadays we kind of we do a night five, we come home, we sit inside this. Um, yeah, nice, safe little brick cell. Put the TV on. Forget about the world. Forget about what's going on above us. But yeah, back in the day, that, that's all there was. You know, no wonder there's so many um, stories that are extremely profound still in the 21st century. You know, and I'm sure that not all of it is. Well, I know it's obvious not all of it's scientific. But I don't think um, when people challenge me with regards to my own hypothesis regarding the spirit in the sky and Osiris being an archaic allegory for us above, so below regarding the um, molecular structure of DMT and the DMT experience being a resurrection experience therein. Um, I'm sure not all the mythologies are as um, as direct and as scientifically correct as that, but. I genuinely don't think that we should umbrella all, all these particular stories regarding the stars, regarding the night sky, just as um, ancient cultures, um, infant um, mindsets, um, and just, just yeah, to quote Graham Hancock, you know, don't throw the baby out with a bathwater. There's, right. If we decide to look at this um, through a scientific lens, there might actually be some substance to it. And bringing the lights of Laird Scranton's work up again regarding the Dogen, um, in, in some aspects of their cosmology, they, they, they appear to be almost ahead of where we are sometimes. It's almost... I scream... I mean, I, I'm, 
I'm not as scientifically minded as I'd like to be with regards to um, physics and astrophysics and things like that. But it seems that at the moment, a comparative study of Dogen pictoglyphs and um, their cosmology regarding 21st century science, it looks like they've got pretty much 98% of it spot on you know um and the little bits we're missing it, it makes me wonder that if certain academia would look at these myths and take them a little serious a little more serious they might actually come to quantifiable conclusions regarding the nuts and bolts of consensus reality and how we ve- like how we picture um our perception of the world if they actually take some of this Dogen cosmology into consideration, they might work some, yeah, the, the final, I don't know, five, six percent of what they're trying to work out a little bit quicker, as opposed to saying, yeah, no, let's again throw the baby out with a bathwater, you know, it's, it's, it's hearsay, it's mythology, it's an archaic mentality, archaic it may be, but like I say, um, and as Led Scranton has quite clearly proved, it appears to be mirroring 21st century science as we know it, you know, and if not, excelling it in some capacity well if you could somehow pass dmt through social media platforms uh it it might be that the it actually transfers into your body there the the world might be a happier place uh that that might be uh, a use for uh uh, social media (laughs) because or for for all of us (laughs) no undoubtedly undoubtedly um and again i think that the, the the dmt being yeah, part of the human experience. I think it's part of our own hidden history, you know. Um, again, every particular tree of life, whether it's um, Aboriginal, whether it's Incan, Mayan. Um, Idrisil. Yeah, Af- yeah, it's y- Idrisil. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're told that Odin sacrificed an eye for, at the well of knowledge that sat at the foot or the roots of the tree of Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil is a, a yew tree as well. We know that to be a form of acacia as well. And it's kind of, well, what's going on here? And he also you know? resurrected for, you know, Abs- after, absolutely. after hanging nine days and having basically basically a walkabout, a vision quest. Well, and you say walkabout, it's the same with the ab- Aboriginal um, cosmology, um, the sacred Yaron tree. And the spirit of Yowie was meant to, yeah, come down and put the the first dead human being inside the tree before the tree got struck by lightning. We're talking about the same Osiris myth here to a capacity, you know, someone being trapped with inside the confines of a tree before becoming immortalized in this case with the Aboriginal story as the Southern Cross. And if you look at the Southern Cross, the brightest star in the Southern Cross we know is Mimosa. Mimosa is a highly extractable um, variety of South American um, cocktail DMT for, for ayahuasca. It's mimosa. It's mimosa bark. Right. Mimosa, it's not just for breakfast anymore. Or <laughs> <laughs> fun-loving criminals. Right. right. Well... This was a bit of a chaotic show, a bit of a surprise, but it was a fascinating conversation nonetheless. I, I really enjoy talking about this, and, and hopefully, if nothing else, the audience realizes that I, you know, that I actually do deep dive into this deep, but that I'm also not an expert. Because, uh, you know, I, I got a very good compliment from someone who said, you know, who's been a guest on the show several times. He said, I, I like to help other journalists. And I've corrected him before I go, I am not a journalist, I'm a podcaster. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I might be an expert in a few things, but nothing that I cover on the podcast, because um, they wouldn't be interesting to any rational human being. Um, 
or most irrational human beings either. Um, but uh, you know, so I, you know, but I do do my homework. I try to absorb as much as I can. But I forget so much because I haven't been studying this for forty years. I've been, I, I sort of tripped into, stumbled into into studying it over the last three years, and mostly because uh, I knew I didn't know things, and and the more things I learned about the more things I realized I didn't know, and I'm not sure that'll ever end. I think it's one of those, I'm in like a like a cubicle, not a cubicle, a spherical hall of mirrors there. Um, but that's okay. That, that, that's, that's content. Uh, but while I learn a lot, I forget a lot, so I apologize for not knowing the, the, the names of the Babylonians. And it has nothing to do with uh, RN here, because even though this was a pivot, I literally watched two things on it and listened to a podcast on it, uh, within the last three days, and still can't remember the names. Maybe I shouldn't have listened to the twelve most powerful gods of Egypt, uh, <laughs> the, the mythology of Japan, mythology of China, and the Babylonian, all in the same uh, day, day and a half. But nevertheless, fascinating conversation. I thank you so much. It's definitely a date for us to follow up on um, Babylonian Dogon, if you like, if you can get that gentleman, uh, Mister Strazen, I think he said his name was, to uh, you know talk to me. He's welcome as well, and and, and, your, and your lovely partner as well. She's booked. She's booked too for Tarot. That that's amazing. So sh- shows beget other shows, sometimes accidentally. But I do not want to leave without giving you yet another chance to um, plug your stuff and your Twitter. Your Twitter is fascinating, and you provide a lot of stuff there. So don't forget to give your your Twitter address also. No, I appreciate it, and thank you very much. Um, yeah, again, I mean, literally, every day's an education for myself as well, Jeff. I've got a stack of notes here regarding, um, yeah, just when I'd shut up for once, and I'm listening to yourself, and I think that with regards to returning again, with regards to the, the Babylonian story as well, I think there's a lot of cross-pollination that I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to concrete instead of, yeah, tripping over myself, let's say. But, yeah, I appreciate that, if we can do a part two at some point as well. Of course. Um, yeah, you can find all my stuff via Twitter, at VootsRN, V-O-O-G-H-T-R-N. Um, and a YouTube channel as well, which is just RN Vote. It'd be great to see you guys there. All, yeah, all comments and subscriptions are, are extremely welcome. As I say, I learn just as much off podcasters and comments via tweets, via my videos uh, and via conversations with people like yourself so every day is a school day and I thank you guys for it thank you yeah wonderful well I thank you too alright folks this was a bit of an unorthodox episode of Garnoon but probably like the older episodes back when it would be B. Shaheen and sometimes the Inhuman Experience guys Bobby Blades Bobby Anthem would come and we would just riff so uh, maybe you all enjoy this type of show uh, just as much I hope so anyway anyway I did and uh, RN will be back uh soon and we'll we'll get into the things we talked about and then his lovely partner will talk to us about uh, she helped us with some tech issues uh, just before as well and uh, she'll talk to us about Tarot and uh, we'll probably put those shows back to back um, but anyway and now I'm going to have to make RN suffer by listening to the uh, outro song which I picked for Tarot but I don't think it has anything to do with Tarot necessarily it just I think it's by a band called Tarot so uh, uh, you know, again, we'll see, but we have to listen to it because, uh, well, you don't care. I'm just going to play the song. Here we go. <laughs>
When focus takes hold and distractions fade away, meet Remarkable, the paper tablet specially designed for tasks that demand focus. Take notes, draft, and organize. Remarkable is a digital notebook with the feel of paper and zero interruptions. All of your notes and documents, perfectly organized and in one place. It's everything you love about paper, but for the digital age. Visit Remarkable.com today. Remarkable, the paper tablet.